Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by the legend himself, Andy McCloy. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, a quick reminder that this is the third and final episode where I will not be doing my standard weekly recap. I will be off vacation. My team, uh, podcast creators, will be off vacation, and we will be back to our regular schedule starting next week. But before we jump into the show, I had a word that came to mind today that I think is super important. And I think it's even more important now because of where we're at in the world, right? Like, I don't know what your situation is, but I feel like the world is still upside down. It's still on fire. Nothing feels normal. So the word that I wrote down is recharge. And I think for so long, and this includes myself, for four months, the the end goal was like, hey, let's just get back to some semblance of normalcy. Let's just maintain. Like, let's just keep grinding, get to, for us, it was, hey, let's just get to August 5th when our kids go back to school. But then now that's been pushed back at least another month and who knows how long that'll go on. So this is where that idea of recharging comes in. Like when everything is kind of like peachy keen and we're rolling along, it's really easy to set aside time for ourselves to recharge. And I'm guilty of this as well, but like who knows when things are going to be back to quote normal unquote. So I think we have to find ways to take care of ourselves now. And you start by checking the little boxes, right? Like making sure you're getting to the gym or that you're working out a couple days a week, making sure that you're ingesting 80 to 90% like healthy whole foods, making sure you're getting enough sleep every night. But then, you know, if this goes on long enough, right? Which I mean, we're four, four and a half months, five months in now, now you have to start thinking a little bit bigger scale, right? And this is where some things that I've done in the past, I need to get back to, right? So like getting regular massage, getting to the recovery room, which is our local like recovery spa where they've got float tanks and cryos and Normatex and all that stuff. Like I really need to start thinking about ramping up my own personal recovery because one thing that I don't think we we take into account is that like our stress levels right now are probably for most of us at all time highs. Maybe not for all of us, right? Like if you don't have kids and you don't really have any stress, you know, you got a good paying job, maybe it's not a big deal. But for me, entrepreneur, working from home, my wife working from home, my kids being schooled from home, multiple businesses, there's just a lot on the plate right now. And I think most of us can relate to that in some way, shape or form, right? Your specific circumstances may be different, but I think it's fairly easy to say that we're all probably more stressed out, more anxious than we have been in the past. So we have to find ways for ourselves to unplug and to recharge. So things that I've been thinking about here lately, first off, if you haven't read the book, Stillness is Key, I think that's the name of it, Stillness is Key by Ryan Holiday. Fantastic book. Definitely read it. But things that I've been trying to do here lately are dedicated like phone off hours during the day and phone off days on the weekend, right? So like 8 a.m. to 7 or 8 p.m., phone is off, right? Like airplane mode, no Wi-Fi. I am incommunicado for extended periods of time. Like I said, some of the forced recovery methods that I've talked about in the past, whether it's massage, float tanks, acupuncture, whatever floats your boat, 
would be something to consider. Um, something I'm actually doing very soon uh, is just going up to my buddy's lake house for a couple days. It's something we've done pretty much every year. There's minimal to no cell phone service, but I mean, two or three days up there and I feel like I can run through a brick wall. So that would be my challenge to you as this thing continues to kind of drag on, as we kind of just accept the fact that we've got a lot of stress and a lot of things going on, find ways to recharge your own batteries, make yourself better because who knows when this thing's gonna turn around, we gotta figure out ways to take better care of ourselves and continue to push ourselves forward. The way I think of it is getting out of playing defense and getting serious about going back on offense. So that does it for me. Quick break, and then we're gonna jump into this awesome, awesome episode with my boy, Andy McCloy. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results and the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next cert will launch in March of 2020, and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Andy McCloy is the owner of BCI Sports Performance and Fitness, an Alabama-based fitness company providing a wide range of performance enhancement and strength training programs to clients ranging from high school and college players to professional athletes. Now, there's the formal bio, but let me just say this. Andy McCloy is one of the realest dudes I know, and we come from totally different backgrounds. He's from the city. I'm from the country. He like hustled and started grinding when he was like 18 with his own business. I didn't open my own business till I was like 30. Andy is somebody that I just have a great deal of respect for. He's somebody that I've attended seminars with, been in mastermind groups with, I've had on my show, I talk to regularly on the phone. He's just a fantastic guy, a fantastic coach. And that's why when I brought him on now for the third time, I wanted to go totally off script. So this show is going to be a little bit different than what you've come to expect. There is no pre-canned questions. I literally wrote down three words training, business, life. That's what this episode is all about. So it's a little bit different. It's a lot more conversational in nature, 
but man, there is some real gold in here. I hope you enjoy it. Let's jump in to this awesome show with my guy, Andy McCloy. Andy, my guy. It's actually third time being on the show, man. Excited to have you on. For those of the people listening in that have not heard of you or haven't followed you in the past, could you just give us like a little intro, who you are, all that good stuff? Yeah. I mean, I usually answer that question the same way. You know, I'm a <laughs> son, I'm a friend, you know, I'm a business owner. And, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that runs a business down here in Madison, Alabama, where we serve a wide range of athletes from like seven years old to professional levels. And we also work with quite a few adults as well trying to help them become a better version of themselves through fitness and health. Love it, man. Love it. So people don't know this, but I'm a very kind of scripted, organized type person. So I figure you're the perfect guy to go totally off the script with on this show. Just rap. We're going to talk training. We're going to talk business. We're going to talk life. But I would love to hear, and again, even if somebody has heard this before, I'd love to hear your story. Like, man, what got you into training in the first place? Like, why did you first start working out? So you're talking about training myself, right? Like yeah, yeah, just getting in the uh, gym, banging weights, whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. you well, think I mean, of yeah. I think it started, you know, with like what I watched, right? Like professional wrestling, you know, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, like yep. those were the those were the dudes. They were the yeah. ones, and I want to look like them. Then as I got into sports, you know, specifically football, that that was a big deal to me. I wanted to look jacked. I wanted to have track. <laughs> I wanted to just be that guy. You know, luckily for me, I had quite a few experiences in high school. I, I went to three different high schools for reasons we could discuss some other time. But uh, <laughs> they say they weren't good reasons. But every high school I went to, and this is back in the 90s, ironically, I actually had a strength coach. And wow. I, Westlake, I had a guy named Paul Kowalczyk, Coach K. And he was just the epitome of a strength coach from the coach's shorts all the way down to being jacked. And, you know, yeah. if you remember 90s strength coaches look like he's that guy. Yeah. He was very good at Olympic lifting. He made us learn anatomy. Like I still remember sternocleidomastoid because of him. Yeah. So he was a huge influence there to start shifting my brain towards like, you know, this stuff has a lot of value outside of just sports. Like I, I saw some value in it. And then when I went to a, a third school, McDonough, I had a great strength coach there named David Bradshaw. And then uh, there was an ATC that we had that actually used to do in-home personal training way back then. Now, the joke okay. was like, you know, just hooking up with a bunch of housewives. Like that was the <laughs> joke. But, and, he, and he wasn't, but I remember that. Being, well, I, maybe he was. But that was, <laughs> that was the joke that went around. And so, I, you know, but I had great strength coaches, a lot of exposure to it. And then, I mean, I went through a lot in high school. We could have an hour talking about that between having a child and the trouble I got in and all those things. But one of my best friend's fathers who had done a lot of time in prison and he owned a, an insurance contracting business. Well, my senior year, basically I went to school for weight training and co-op and that was really about it. I had handled other credits in other places and other ways. And so I would go work with his dad part-time and okay. his was an ex-power lifter and he was really connected to uh, Mark Chalet. So anybody in the powerlifting yeah. world, remember that name. Yeah. He used to take me to Chalet's gym, which is in the super hood in Marlow Heights, Maryland after work. So I got exposed powerlifters and yeah, I was on that my senior year I was on our high school powerlifting team. And I just realized I was pretty damn good at it. Like I just being shorter and stockier, right. was easy to me where my head was back then though. It, I would love to say I was thinking about doing good, positive things with my life, but I had been through a lot of stuff. 
And I'll be dead honest with you. A large part of my strength training was like preparation for me to go to prison. Like I was like, mm. I'm going to end up there. You know, I got to be strong. I got to, you know, do that thing. I had a you know, bunch of friends, you know, getting in trouble, you know, around this time as well. A lot of them getting locked up guys, a couple guys killed. And I started to consider, I need to figure out another way to live my life. And I met a guy named Eric Williams who owned a company called HBI fitness. I don't know if they're still around, but this was in the Washington DC area. And he had contracts at all the gold's gyms around the Washington DC area. He had a similar background to me and he kind of took me under his wing and gave me an opportunity. Very shortly after I started working for him, he made me the director of nutritional services, which sounds, you know, really fancy um, right. meant around, you know, running apex nutrition software. But I constantly had a place to train and I had a reason to train. And, you know, I'm entering into my, my early 20s. And I think that it just became my identity. Like I'm the type of person that goes and works out and trains. And then eventually when I moved, you know, to Alabama, you know, I, I questioned whether or not I could replicate what I'd seen Eric do. But that was the game plan. I wanted to come down here and replicate that and have a training company that had exclusivity in all these gyms. And I recognized that me training was, you know, big part of that and yeah. eventually ended up, you know, taking over, you know, a couple gyms and having exclusivity contracts there and then pivoted into all athletes pretty much around 2005 and you know, haven't, haven't looked back since. And the one, you know, cornerstone in my life has always been the weight room. It's, it's been my, my place of solitude and happiness, you know, since I can, since I can remember quite frankly. I love it, man. So talk to me when you're getting started, right? So we're like the same age. We're very, very close. So like philosophically, right? Where was your head at? Like you'd been exposed to like, like Schwarzenegger and those dudes, they were more like bodybuilders. You've been exposed to powerlifting. Like what was your training philosophy like when you got started? So when I first got started, it was very bodybuilding driven. And then it became very powerlifting driven as I started getting into that. By the time I moved to Alabama, I had been exposed to like Gary Gray. Okay. And that the big made- difference, right? huge, but yeah. it made a lot of sense to me. Uh-huh. I kind of started like, I started playing around with stuff, you know, like we would use a lot of his matrixes and we would still you know, keep big compound movements in, but then we would use bodybuilding principles for auxiliary work. And yeah. so it felt like I was creating my, my own thing there. I also realized shortly thereafter, it's really hard to mix all those philosophies when you don't have a deep understanding of the principles that drive adaptation and all that stuff. So, but yeah, that, that's where I was when I first got started. Like when I first started training people, it was a mix of all these things that I had been exposed to. Yeah, I love it. So 2005 comes around, you start to pivot, you're getting more into the athlete side. Obviously, there's a lot more to creating an athlete than just being strong as hell in the gym, right? Or looking the part. We both know that. So how did you start to fill in those gaps, whether it was speed, power, conditioning, like you're a really well-read guy. Like, how did you go about figuring those pieces out? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one, I appreciate that. And two, I think I've been good at, I always call it finding gold. Like I've just, I'm good at that. So when I wanted to start working with athletes, I found a bunch of resources from Westside to Elite FTS, to Joe DeFranco, to Jay Ferrugia, to Joe Ken, right? And I just started diving in to all of their material. And, I, and I'd, I'd be Mike Boyle and Vern Gambetta also deserve a big nod there. Cause like in my yeah. mind, it flashed back to this stack of VHSs that I have yeah. from all those dudes. So I really started just kind of playing around with their stuff 
I really didn't know enough to know how to organize it all into a great training session. Although I was, you know, reflecting back, I was doing a better job than I, I thought I was. And I really love those days where kind of like ignorance is bliss. Like you didn't question what you put together because right. know certain things, right? So yeah. more free back then. Then it led into, and I, I, I want to say Elite is probably the place that inspired this the most because they were heavy into like all the Russian manuals and, yeah. you know, Vygonsky and, you know, so... I started just diving into all that stuff too, which I'm going to be honest with you, I think confused me, you know, like I, I read <laughs> and was like, what did I just read? You know, I right. <laughs> Alice's, I read, you know, science and practice. I'm like, man, what? All right, science and practice is the easiest to digest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That was my favorite by far. hundred percent. But I did end up in this period for years where like I was very conflicted with what I was doing because I was reading so many things that, you know, competed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I started working with high school teams and became a high school strength coach, I leaned heavily on Coach Ken's material, even though it conflicted with almost everything I had read. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the balls, the audacity, you know, to put together yeah. a program where power work is done second or third in a workout. And his explanation for it just made sense to me. Yep. So I, I'm riding with this. So I went in all things tier system for, for a long time. And you know, that's led to a, a great relationship with coach Ken that I, you know, I deeply value. And uh, without the materials that he had put out, man, I, I, I might've banged some kids up really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Like first off, I, one thing I made a note up here, if you had VHS tapes of strength training stuff, you are an OG. 100%. That's, that's all there is to it. If you have VHS tapes about how to get stronger, how to make better athletes. I mean, I mean, I remember I had the old West Side tapes. I had the Parisi system on VHS. Yes, I had it all. And now I've got a good chunk of it converted. It's on DVDs yeah. now, but yeah, you're definitely an OG. So, so talk to me about how you work through that, right? So like here you are, let's call you a power builder or whatever. You're starting to pick up all this stuff. How did you go about putting all those pieces together and coming up with what, you know, I think you have a very unique training system at this point. So like, how did that come together for you? I think what made it come together was me getting over myself and thinking I had to create something. Like yeah. I had an idea that I had to reinvent the wheel and come up with something creative, unique, different, especially once I started reading business stuff too, because then I'm like, yeah. like <laughs> proposition, you know, and it's yeah. like, that can really start to corrupt and you know in my mind and but I think a lot of it was just getting over my ego and the idea that I had to be the man and as I started stumbling onto more and more people I would take the things that principally aligned with what I was learning and just bolt it in you know yeah. one of the things definitely you know your R7 system being that like I remember the first time you presented on that I was like that just makes too much sense it right. communicates in a, a very simple language that everybody you know, can pick up. And to this day, you know, we, we still use that. So, you know, finding gold, getting out of my way and being yeah. okay, not being like the innovator and creator. I've become great at stealing stuff from people smarter than me. Yeah. That's such good advice because I think, especially now, so much of the tried and true stuff is tried and true for a reason, right? Like when you're out there and I mean, especially prevalent in this, the social media game where everybody's got to have a new exercise or a new spin on something like, Hey man, there's a time and a place for that. But a lot of the nuts and bolts training, like 90% of it, 95% it's pretty straightforward, man. Like just don't, don't screw it up. Right. Right. And it's refreshing when I have conversations with people that still have this perspective because I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of our demographic, I think feeling like they need to become entertainers to a certain degree. You know, split squats don't play as well as 
front leg elevated trampoline oscillatory whatever <laughs> right you know right I just, right so i i think that's something that a lot of young coaches need to pay attention to and yeah. especially when to build a business it's a lot harder to standardize things like that as opposed to the basics are still the jam. They, they are the thing and it's tried and true. And anybody that disagrees with that, I would argue hasn't stuck with the basics long enough to evaluate that statement. Yes. And it reminds me of something Coach Ken said. At, I think it was at one of our Eid seminars, actually. And he just said, you know, the days of walking into a weight room day one with somebody and putting a barbell on their back are probably gone. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to squat them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we're just going to figure out something else that works. Like a squat works, a deadlift works, but yes. yeah, it, yeah, we've evolved in the last 20, 25 years and we're maybe going to pick different exercises or different variations. We're going to mold it to the athlete a little bit more, but like, man, big rocks are the big rocks for a reason, man. Like Period. don't, don't make it harder than it needs to be. Yep. Yep. I agree, man. So to come full circle on this, Power builder starting out. Describe to me what your philosophy is like now, because I mean you're you're working with high level dudes, yeah, right? and so, you're having and you're having success. I sorry to interrupt, but you're having yeah. success with that level of guy, and then you're having success in your team trainings with your little kids, with your your gin pop clients. Like, what is your philosophy now? How has it evolved over the last 20, 25 years? Are we talking about a specific population or are you just talking about training in general or? Training in general. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one thing that I, I've, I've learned a lot about is the, the different maturation windows that kids are in and, and how to utilize that to provide the right stimulus, right? Yep. With our young kids, you know, I really, I, I got to give Jeremy Fritch a nod here because mm. he's kind of become my go-to guy on all things. He's for a kid. He, he really is. He's a, he's a really sharp guy and I've gotten a lot of information from him. So when it comes to the formation of that program, again, it was like, get out of my own way and the biases I might have about like what that should look like and start communicating with people that have more experience in that area. So it's kind of a mix of what we believe, a lot of the things that Jeremy and other long-term athletic development folks talk about. When it comes to middle school kids, what we tell parents is our philosophy is to treat this program like skill development. And that's an easy sell when a kid, like all kids are, you got basketball skill coaches, baseball skill coaches. Right. So what we tell them is that everything that we do is a skill as well. And at this age, what we care about is that you become great at the basics and you develop the skill of being a lifter, right? Okay. And, that, and we keep things very basic from a loading standpoint. Everything's very linear for kids that age. We do almost no unilateral work for kids that age. I know that's mm -hmm. one thing that we do differently, but it's a matter of running an efficient session and making sure that we give them the things that are going to have the biggest carryover. And we believe yeah. that bigger complex movements are going to do that. And a lot of those kids are not training at school. So we are teaching them the fundamentals of Olympic lifting. So when they do get to high school, they're more competent than the average yeah. kid. So that's the other thing that we talk about with our middle school program is I'm not trying to turn you into the best, you know, seventh grader in the country. We're trying to make sure that when you become a high school athlete, you have a higher degree of competence as a lifter. So if you go to a school that doesn't have a strength coach, you can squeeze more out of that program and be less likely to get injured. When it comes to high school athletes, what we talk about is we're the supplement, not the show. So mm -hmm. we don't do a lot of bilateral stuff with them. And if we do, it's submaximal loading and more patterning. Same thing in, in regards to Olympic lifting. It's very technique driven to, because they're all cleaning at school and, and stuff sure. anyway. And then we do build in a lot of unilateral work and multi work into that group because it's largely absent 
for most of their high school programs. So that's kind of how that's my beliefs and philosophy around those three different programs that we have. No, I love that, man. And look, like that's exactly how we try and sell what we do at the high school level is so many of these kids, they're lifting five days a week at school. Like granted that the parents see like gaps in their development or they see things that they want us to work on, but it's like, and they're not coming to me and squatting more weight, you know, like it just doesn't make sense. So love that. Love that. Okay. Heavy bias towards their kid working really hard. And that's another thing that we try to explain is that it can't always be hard. You know, we've had, (laughs) right. We've had parents question like, well, well, why is, why is he doing that exercise? That looks remedial. He, He back squats at school. And we have to explain to them why, like, well, one, if he back squats at school, there's no real reason to back squat here. Right. <laughs> and two, we see things that he needs work on, and it's going to require lower intensity efforts, at least until he becomes more competent. And then we can start ramping that stuff up again. But there's such a disconnect and a bias towards hard work that sometimes the details of what we do is really hard to explain to a parent. Like somebody yes. around gets it, but the average mom and dad just thinks I'm supposed to smash them. You know, that's a hard conversation at times. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to go hard pivot here and I want to talk about business. And I want to start with, obviously you got in this game early, right? Like 17, 18 years old. Yep. Once you got in and you had some success, what made you realize that, hey, man, I think I'm ready to do this on my own? I, I've jokingly said I'm virtually unemployable in a lot of ways. So, Like most know, of us, right? right? You're an entrepreneur. There's a reason you work for yourself. Yeah. And then outside of that, I don't have you know the degrees and things that a lot of people have in our world. So when I moved out to Alabama from Maryland, the goal was to start a business. But I got out here and I got kind of shook. And I was like, you know, I just don't know what to do. I thought I needed to like figure it all out before I did it. But then I realized it was like, you know, I love this stuff. I want to do it. Nobody's going to hire me as a college strength coach because I don't have a degree. Nobody's going to hire me as an NFL strength coach. Man, I might as well just go ahead and start a business. So I kind of just arrogantly started a business and was like, I'm going to figure this out. And, you know, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to be an entrepreneur of some sort. I've always kind of been a hustler, you know, my whole life. This seemed like a great way to do things. And it was also legal. Yes. <laughs> so <it> made- <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I answered that question the way you asked it or not, but that, but that's where my head goes. No, that's perfect. So now talk to me because a lot of people listen to this, right? And a lot of people think they're unhappy in their current spot or they assume they'd be happier on their own. Give them a small dose of the reality of opening your own business and what that lifestyle looks like early on. I, I heard this recently from somebody and, it, and this sums it up pretty good. Everybody thinks that like it's hard to do a nine to five. Well, when you own your own business, it's like a five to nine. And I think <laughs> yes. Yes. Get is that it's an all day, all night thing. And initially, I think everybody thinks that they need to be a business owner these days, right? Entrepreneurship has become super cool. Yes. And everybody is focused on... I think the way it looks on IG, that is not the reality of running a business. There may be time, I mean, early on, there were times where I I didn't pay myself the way I could and should. I've gone through a lot of difficulties learning how to manage finances in business and, and my personal life. If you're a meathead type of dude, and I say that with love and affection, you're probably not a business dude. Like I wasn't a business guy. Right. Like taking the computer programmer off the street and trying to have him run one of your sessions. You know, even if he waits and he's read some books, there's a lot of context missing. And 
I think the thing for me is that I just backed myself into a corner. It was like, I have to figure this out. So through all the tough times, which for me was two custody battles of my child, I was, I went married and divorced a previous time, went through a lot of personal battles. And the reality is you have no sick days. You have no vacation days. Like right. nobody is coming to save you when you burn the boats. It's mm-hmm. on you. And that sobering reality has been challenging, but it's also been something that has always kept me moving forward. You know, yeah, it's a lot harder than it looks on IG. I'll tell you that. Man, I am so glad you said that. And I've thought about this a lot, but I think the world that we live in now with regards to coaching is vastly different than when you and I came up. And, and I don't mean this in a negative way. I just mean like, what people view as a good coach is different. And, and let me give you some context here. I feel like 2005, 2010, maybe even, maybe even in 2015, in that like 10-year range, like you weren't really like a legit coach if you didn't have your own spot, right? Or you didn't work at like a major college program or a major professional team. Like you couldn't be a lieutenant or an assistant somewhere and be the guy. Like you had, and so for us guys in the private sector, like you had to own your own spot. And now I'm not sure if you have to do that. You know, I think between the social media presence you can cultivate, between just all the the different opportunities that are out there, it's looked at differently. And I think for a young coach coming up that wants to be a great coach, it's a good thing, right? Because you know as well as I do, man, running a business, no joke. Like, there are two totally different skill sets. You have to learn to be like a great coach and a great technician and then a great business owner. So if you don't have like the drive to do both, you will struggle. Like there's no two ways around. I, I could not agree more. And I think a lot of young people are actually better suited for like the online stuff. They're great at cultivating an image and, and, and these things that like I, you know, in some weird way, like I'm a little jealous of, like I wish I could step into that but what I think that focus on self, where it can go backwards at times, is if you then have to lead a team. Mm. You know, if you have to lead a team and you have to build a business, that requires more of an inner focus on yourself and figuring out like what qualities do I need to develop in me to get this team of people to follow me, believe in my vision, and help me build this. That is way harder than you know somebody getting online and telling you how to run an online business. And right. I've become a little triggered lately by, you know, people that are advising others on how to run a business, yet they really haven't even ran one or they've been working for themselves. But if, but if they, for the most part, and this isn't everybody, but if they don't do the work, they don't get paid. That's not owning a business the way I view it. I was always taught that if you have to do the work to make the money, you own your job, but you don't really business. And I think that there's a, a disconnect there for some young people where, where they are advising others on how to run a business, but yet they actually haven't truly stepped into that on their own. Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, this is just something that I find amusing is like every industry, but especially fitness is such a copycat industry, right? Like everybody's saying the same things and they're selling the same products, you know? So like the coaching business that everybody has started to, to cultivate, like you coach people, Yep. You should coach people because you've actually been there. I coach people and I mentor people because I've actually done these things. But yeah, how funny is it when you see ads getting served to you on Instagram or on Facebook from some dude that owned a gym for like two years, either sold it, burned it down, left, and is now advising people on the internet 
how to run a successful business. Like that. And then the other thing that, that I used to just fall out laughing about was when COVID hit and all of a sudden I'm getting fed all these ads for how to rebound successfully after COVID and all these things. Like they've been there, right? Like this is like hopefully right. a once in a lifetime thing. Like, so you're <laughs> going to tell me how to navigate this considering you've never seen it in your lifetime. Good luck, man. Yeah. And then, you know, telling me how to navigate it from, and again, it kind of, I don't want to hammer on young coaches, but it's just the, yeah. the fresh on my mind right now is that telling me how to handle COVID when you're a single guy, you know, living in an apartment, running an online business is a little bit different than like my world where I have two daughters, one twenty-three, one six, and I got a six-year-old granddaughter and I got a wife and I got, you know, yeah. it's a whole other animal, as you know. So, you know, Advice is a funny thing. If, if you don't have experience in, in doing exactly what I do, it's very hard for me to just take advice. Doesn't mean I'm not going to listen. Yeah. You know, it's hard. <laughs> and, and that's such a, a key word now. The word experience is vastly undervalued, right? With the day and age that we're in, it's so easy to rely on knowledge or think that knowledge cures all ills. Like, oh, I read this in this book. Or I heard this at this seminar, so this is what I'm going to tell you to do. But, you know, experience gives you that that ability to not only know when that works, but also know when that doesn't work, Yes. right? Or know the context behind when things work and when they don't. So great stuff, man. So when it comes to your business, what would you say have been some of the biggest failures or mistakes that you've made and how have you learned from those? Because I think everybody likes to talk about wins, right? This is something I'm focusing more on with yeah. this because everybody wants to talk about the dubs. Yeah. The dubs are awesome. But talk to me about losses. Talk to me about failures. What things have you missed on that have ultimately made you a better business owner? Let's see. I think the first thing, it comes back to financial management. Early on, yeah. like I wish I had one of those stories where it was like, I grinded for 10 years and then it finally happened. Well, actually, <laughs> I got really lucky really fast. Like I started doing really well, really fast. But I was very talented at burning through the money. And every time back time would come, I would want to cry. So I think early on, you know, the first couple of years was I just couldn't wrap my head around like financial management and PL statements and all this stuff. Right. So that was yeah. a big one. And it's ironically now, I believe the main reason that we handled COVID so well is yes. because I had a better understanding of that. The second thing would be hiring people. I, listen, I've listened to a lot of really smart people give advice on how to find the right person and put them into the right seat and all that. What right. I didn't account is the human being's nature to like have cognitive dissonance and make choices based on needs, not necessarily the objective information that you've been given. And I've made some hiring mistakes over the years that I think have made me more clear now on knowing what I'm looking for. So mm -hmm. I better hires since then. Third thing is probably, it's twofold. It's like the balance of if your desire is to run the business and not do all the work in the business, either pulling yourself out too fast or pulling yourself out too slow. Mm -hmm. And I, I view this, both of those were faults of mine. I waited a long time to start pulling myself out of sessions. So after I was you know, 15 years in, when I started to do this, I felt the need to do it fast. Does that make mm, sense? Yeah. Because really I was, I was also burnt. You know what I mean? Like I yes. was getting, I was just burnt. So I think now I'm very clear on what I want my role to be, but it's given me perspective on how to change, not change too much too fast. And to make sure that when those changes are made, that it's communicated better to your membership base, your coaches, 
and, and everybody that's a part of your organization. I love it. I love it. So I want to I put two notes down here. Number one, I know we're both believers in this profit first. 100%. I mean, if you're a business owner, like I remember you mentioning that. I don't know if it was at one of our meetings for Blacklist. I don't remember what it was, but I just remember like, okay, I need to look into that. Bought the book, hired the advisor. Like yep. that, I'm with you. Like that's a big part of the reason why even when COVID hit, you know, we, we got some of the government stuff that worked out for us. But even if it didn't, we could have kept people on board at a, at a diminished salary just based on money we'd set aside. Absolutely. So, it's that you understand like a P&L statement, you know, it, it helped me understand really where my money was going. Yes. It, that big thing. It's like, it was very clear, like what amount of money I have to operate this month, mm-hmm. right? Yep. He took away the stresses of worrying about planning for taxes. Yes. Yeah, that's a huge one. That's a big one. And then the other one for me is like, like I said, early on, I didn't know anything about this stuff. So a lot of my personal life and business life were entangled. And I think it's a very common thing when you deal with people like CPAs that are more like gap, ACBOA driven, like it's kind of like mix it all in there so you can write off as much as possible. But like, it just was a disconnect for me. So it helped me get clear on like, how much do I really need to pay myself out of the business to live the lifestyle that I've created and how to make sure that that is not taking away from the business's needs to provide for our employees and take care of all the other expenses around here. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I would just say that if you're a business owner, read Profit First. If you're thinking about being a business owner, read Profit First. And you can do it on your own. Like, I don't know about you. Like, so with IFAST, I hired somebody just because there's so many moving pieces there and employees and all that. And then I kind of did it on my own for RTS. But I would say, if you're just getting into this and you want to do it the right way, just hire somebody to help. Like yeah, it's some me, of the best money. It's it's money invested, right? It is. And it's an expense I will never give up. I mean, I, I wouldn't even try to do it on my own just because I, you know, that's not been my thing. You know, <laughs> right. having my Profit First Pro, who is almost to us like a, a CEO or CFO from afar. Yes. She's really valuable to me to help. I ask questions. She gives me context. It helps me make better decisions for the organization. Yeah, that's great. And then the other piece that that I highlighted here was hiring. And that is such a tricky thing. I think it's interesting because when you start, obviously you're working for yourself, N equals one, and then you start to bring people on, right? Whether it's an admin, whether it's another coach. And it's just funny because we've been open 12 years now. And just thinking about the shift in what I view as the perfect employee has changed so much. Uh-huh, right? Sure. Right? Like, like when you start, you think, oh, this is the exact kind of person that I want. And then either that person's great and it reaffirms that or you get somebody that looks great either on paper or they put on that mask and they wear it for six months and they take the mask off and you're like, oh man, this is not the person I thought I was getting. So it's just really interesting. Like with the hiring piece, it's something that I think it's a moving target a hundred percent, right? Because you change, you evolve, your business changes, your business evolves. So then the person that you need to be a key employee or to be a key player on your team is going to change as well. Yeah. I think that's a great point you made about like, you're going to grow and they're going to grow. You know, like you hire a young trainer that's very open to the idea of working early mornings and late nights. And then all of a sudden he gets a girlfriend, not (laughs) Lord forbid married or like one of our guys on staff had a child here recently. And I was incredibly impressed with his dedication of showing up early in the morning. And, you know, he had to go home and take naps and do what was required. But, you know, I saw a shift, you know, in his world. 
that I had not seen in a long time. And it reminded me of how difficult it was for me when I you know, first got custody of my daughter, how hard it was for me to kind of put everything in its right place so I could give all to work and I could give all to her. And it's just a, it's a difficult thing. So as you grow and your organization grows, that perfect fit or perfect person, I can definitely see shifting. Absolutely. And this will kind of go seamlessly into like the third pillar I want to talk about today, which is like life, lifestyle, kind of where you're at now, because I love the evolution that you have gone through. So talk to me about when you started the business, right? Mm -hmm. What was your lifestyle like? Like what, what would an average day or weekend look like for Andy McClure? <laughs> so, I, want, I want the weekend, man. I want the dirt. Yeah. Well, give, I mean, me the whole, I, give me the whole week. Dude, I didn't discriminate on the weekdays. I mean, it was, <laughs> you, I mean, early on when I first started, it was, you know, work 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. at night, take a break in the middle of the day to work out. And then I was partying, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, like for sure. Like and yeah. when I was partying, I mean like world-class getting busy. Like we, we did, <laughs> one like, you know, it wasn't like having a couple beers. You know, it was like, we're going to get, you know, a whole handle of Hennessy in between three of us. We're going to smash it and probably and <laughs> blunts in between. I mean, that was <laughs> my lifestyle, man. And then yeah. when I started making some money, when I had exclusivity contracts at a Gold's Gym and then at Riviera Fitnesses here in town, and this was all general fitness, probably 2003, 2004, before I made the shift into athletes, I had a lot of employees and I had a lot of free time. So like my life got really different. I trained some longtime clients and then literally, man, I hope my wife don't hear this, but then I'm at a strip club from like, you know, new, <laughs> like, and, and I would pop in sometimes, Hey, just check on everybody. And then be right back to a bar, you know? Right. And you know, I lived that lifestyle for some years too. And luckily that, that period didn't extend too long. And a lot of it had to do with me kind of shifting, putting my back up against the wall and saying, you know what, I'm out of general fitness for a while. I want to see if I can build a, you know, a business around athletes. And it, it started to connect in my head that when you work with young athletes, there's an opportunity for mentorship. And mm -hmm. I started to feel like this is what I'm meant to do. All the shit I've been through in my life, it's to help keep you know, another kid from going down these roads. And I started to realize that it'd be very hard for me to sell that message if I was still living the way I was living. And you know, slowly just started to shift a lot of that. So you start to have this... I don't, I don't want to say a calling, right? But you, you start to realize like, I think this is what I'm meant to do. And obviously where you were and where you wanted to be, there was probably a pretty sizable gap there, right? Based on yep. the lifestyle. So like, what was the first step? I mean, do you remember that? Do you remember like what, what was like the first thing that came through your head? Like, like I'm going to take this step to move myself forward. This is what I remember. And I couldn't tell you when, but this was a big shift for me. And it was, it was sometime around this time when I first started working with athletes and I would hear myself give somebody advice and then like a voice in the back of my head would be like, you're so full of shit. Mm. You know, I, I started to realize there was a disconnect between the advice I gave other people about how they should take care of themselves and how I was actually living. Yes. That was a big moment for me. And I started to realize, started to connect back to things I had read many years prior, like about values, right? Right started to like really, I mean, there was some low self-esteem moments because I started to realize I had like created this narrative in my head that I was one person, but I really wasn't showing up as that person. But that gave me the opportunity to become, you know, who I truly wanted to be. Now, I'm not so sure I'm there yet. Like I was like, I'm, right, gonna, right, right. I'm a work in progress for forever, but um, <laughs> it certainly gave me a better roadmap, you know, and it started with the awareness of like, 
man, like you got a lot of blind spots because you're not really living the way you would tell somebody else to live. Yes. It's such a great thing to take home too. Like I think they always say that a lot of times the advice you give in part is stuff that you're basically saying to yourself. Uh So when you're sleeping five hours a night and then you tell your fat loss client, well, you're training hard and your nutrition's on point, but you sleep four hours a night, like deep seated, like psychologically, you're giving yourself that advice too. Absolutely. I mean, so, so another thing that I know you and I are both very into these days is meditation. So talk to me about that. Cause I think that for dudes like us, whether it's the training, the entrepreneurship, like we're wired to go. So like what got you into meditation and did it just like happen right away? Or was it like me? Like I tried like 10 different ways and then finally I'm into something that sticks. So like, how did that come together for you? And how is it part of your like routine now? So it it was more like what you explained. Like I tried a lot in the beginning, but I think if I connect like where the first initial seed was planted was like my father who got me into martial arts when I was young, there was a period of time where he was into Tai Chi. And at the okay. end, which is kind of like active meditation, but he would also sit down and do some breathing. And like, it's not like he did it every day or anything. It wasn't like I walk in my house and my dad's sitting on a cushion meditating, right? It was just <laughs> something he talked to me about. And I think it planted that seed. And then, you know, I don't know where it started coming from. But I, if I had to bet, to be honest, it was probably somebody on social media I respected who started talking about meditation. I was like, all right, I'm gonna try this. And this was probably eight or nine years ago. And I would like literally go sit in my closet at the house and just try to like, okay, this is it. I'm going to create the perfect environment. I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. Didn't work. Right. And I would struggle, (laughs) just struggle so bad. One, I think I had a wrong perception of what it is and you know, what it really is. Um, I'm supposed to, you know, float and have no thoughts and you know, those things and very busy. But the bigger issue for me was it was a reactive practice. It wasn't something Mm. that I land and it become a part of life. So what I started doing, I remember this specifically because it shifted how I approached meditation is I started actually doing it in the shower. And this again, might be too much information, although I've talked about how much I love showers on other podcasts. So <laughs> if you heard my talk, this will be no surprise. So I would, I would always brush my teeth in the shower and okay. anchoring these two things together. I'm always going to brush my teeth. So as soon as I'm done, I'm going to get on my knees in my shower, put on this little playlist and I'm just going to meditate for like three minutes. Okay. So that was the way that it, it got consistent, yep. right? And from there, I just started expanding the time. From there, I found out about TM. And you know, at that point in time, I wasn't willing to invest the money in it. So I just, right. all right, I'm going to do 20 minute sessions a day. And then I kind of got to that point. And by then, like a bunch of apps were coming out. So I played with all the apps that, that you can think of. And I started to get really competent at it. You know, like, I mean, I could meditate almost anywhere. And yeah. then uh, three years ago, I got married. Yes. <laughs> and then my whole routine and the way I did everything got shifted. Mm-hmm. And it came back to being a struggle for me. So I started to be inconsistent a little bit for a while, but then I would, I would correct it. And what I found a lot of it was, again, about environment. You know, it was about the environment that I was in that would allow me to do that. And then when COVID hit, I went all the way in. I was like, man, I need something. My brain's just so busy. I'm struggling right now. Right. I bought a new calm. And this thing, it throws me into a state that when I was meditating at my best, it wasn't even like this. I mean, this thing is amazing. They should be giving me kickbacks for this because anybody that I talk about to this, like I'm passionate about it, man. I use my new calm every day now. It started to help fix a lot of my sleep issues. It's like lowering stress on demand and it helps reset circadian rhythms and 
It's a really, really cool tool. Really so talk, cool. talk to me about that because I've heard of New Calm. I know nothing about it. What is it? Yeah, I mean, their, their language is it's a, like a medical device to have uh, these different sensors that you put on your body, but now they have these little discs that have frequencies on them and you put them on acupuncture meridian points. I can already feel somebody rolling their eyes listening to this. Uh, <laughs> you, it's an acoustic software that you play with it and soundproof headphones. You do the sleep mask deal and the whole nine. But what happens is these frequencies, they slowly take you down into theta brainwaves. Right, okay. Deep state of relaxation. And most of the ones are about 50 minutes long, which that's, I do about three of those a week. Those are, those are really challenging. But every day I get in what's called their power nap function which is a 20-minute session where I run a mantra when I do it until I start yeah. drooling myself. But it takes you deep into theta, and at the end of it, it pulls you back up, I believe, into alpha. So it's like it takes you deep, but it pulls you out. So when you take this thing off, it's like, whoa, I'm ready to go. Okay. Now, I quantified this, I don't know, but they say that that 20-minute power nap equals two hours of deep restorative sleep. And because of the place that it takes you. So for somebody like me that's had a lot of sleep issues over the years, it's been magical in that regard. Yeah. It's something called a warrior function, okay? Has not been re released yet on mine. I have a couple more surveys I have to do because I'm a part of this mastermind study they're doing. Okay. But it is supposed to be like you put it on and then you're ready to go run through a wall. Like they're, they're using it with the FBI and other organizations and it, it apparently is pretty amazing. So nice. I'll be excited when that function comes out. All right, dude. See, you're always up on the new stuff. That's why I keep you around, man. I got to check that out. Right. I try. Man, and, and coming back to the meditation piece, like the TM. So I paid for it last year, went through it, did it super religiously, basically until COVID hit. And yep. then it was like, okay, man, this is really tough to negotiate this when I'm working from home, I'm homeschooling my children, even though I know people get mad when they say homeschooling, because technically, we're not writing the lessons. But yeah, man, I need to get back on that. But I have another question because you said something and now I'm so intrigued. Talk to me about the shower thing. What's up with the shower? It's kind of my place where I think the best, I feel the best. I, I was actually on Luca's podcast and I think it was Luca's podcast. And we were talking about it and I was talking about how during COVID in the beginning, I was taking like five showers a day and <laughs> get in there and I would, you know, keep the water kind of lukewarm, but like almost cold yep. and sit in there and breathe and think, you know, find that place of stillness. Yes. And then nine times out of 10, I'm knocking it down to cold and, you know, breathing through that because I, I, I just really enjoy that. And yep. yeah, that's it. It just seems to be the place. Like when I had my hips done, you know, if my hips were hurting, I would go stand in the shower. And a lot of times I wouldn't even have the water beat on, you know, it yeah. might be hitting abs. I just feel good in the water. And it's the same with the pool, the ocean, Yes. You know, that's all tied back. You know? No, that's super interesting. The reason I ask is I am the same way. First off, nope. people make fun of me. I shower twice a day. Me too. Right? Like I'm a morning before I go to work because you're a coach. You're going to be moving around, working with people. I don't want to smell. And then you yep. smell because you work with people all day. So I'm not going to get in my bed and be all nasty. Yeah. So anyway, plus I just have, I have great ideas. Like I have some of my best ideas in the shower. I also found out a while back, Buddy Morris who is a real true OG. Yep. He is so into showers, his wife bought him like a stool so he mm. can sit in the shower. Yes. So That's I was like, awesome. okay, he's got it figured out. Yeah, All right. I want these big, giant like showers, like the size of this office. Like yes. that's a, I build my dream home. I'm having something crazy like that. I love it. I love it. Okay, so one more topic I want to touch on yep. is 
marriage, relationships, all that stuff. Because I think when we first started hanging out, you were a pretty single dude, right? That has very much shifted. It's been very cool to see that shift. So kind of a two-part question here. Number one, what was the mental shift like to go from single dude to married dude? And then what do you think has made you successful in this endeavor, right? Because I kind of follow you guys, you know, like, look, every relationship has ups and downs, but what do you attribute some of your guys' success to? Yeah, I think the big mental shift for me from going from single to married was confronting the fact that I really wanted to be married. Mm -hmm. You know, I I told myself the story for a long time, but I I don't want to be married because I did it once before and it didn't work. And I was going to stay single for life and quite frankly, very good at the single life like I had a lot of fun doing that. I got to meet and spend time with, you know, cool people. And there's a lot of value in that. But I did feel like there was something missing, you know, from me. I wanted that deeper connection with somebody. And I really didn't know how to negotiate that without being in a real relationship. You know, I spent, you know, there's eight years. It wasn't like I was just chasing girls around bars. I was also spending time figuring out like what's important to me and what really matters to me. And like, what are the the big levers that I think I need to pull both in myself and that someone else has to have for it to be a successful relationship. So I got really clear on that. Just kind of had to admit that it's something I wanted. And I've known yeah. my wife, we've been only married three years. I've known my wife for like 11 years and, you know, she's always been somebody special in my life and she's 11 years younger than me. So yeah. it took where she got, you know, older to where I felt like we had some things in common. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how good I do all the time at marriage, but (laughs) I think the thing that works for me is I'm very clear on what my, what I want my role to be in my family. You know, I want to be the leader of my family. Now my wife is a very independent woman. She's also a business owner. So at times that, that can create conflict. I want to be the provider. Like I want to be able to take care of my family so we can do cool things. And it's an important, you know, rule for me. And, you know, I, I want to be the protector, right? So it's cliche, right? Like, you know, presider, provider, protector, but that's, that's who I want to be. And making sure that I show up in that way and that my actions are always congruent is it's not easy as any, you know, married person will tell you. Right. I think, my clarity there on what I believe my role is and my commitment to trying to get better at it. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, one thing that I read this about kids, but I think it's true in all relationships, the more that I think about it, right? Like this guy was using the, basically this, this story to illustrate his point, but he said, you know, like I was at home one day and my kid, you know, comes home from school, they were getting bullied, whatever. I was there and I could talk to them and it made the situation better. And the main purpose of this story wasn't that he was like the best father in that moment, but it was just the simple fact that like he was there. Right. Mm -hmm. And like time, like we get so caught up in quality time and, and look, quality time is important, right? Like I know we're both like Ryan holiday guys and being able to put the phone aside and be present in the moment and those sorts of things. But there's also this element of just being there, right. And committing and putting in the time. And so that's why when I see, like you guys on date night, you know, things like that, like that's important, right? Especially right now, right? And date night might pivot a lot in the last three or four months. Like for a while, date night was like the date 20 minutes when we're walking the dog or yes. whatever, you know, but but just that commitment to another person, the ability to put in the time, 
And when you are putting in time, being actually present, right? It can't be like, we're in the same room. We're both on our phones. And look, there's a time and a place for that too, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. We're not talking to each other. This is decompression. And then we'll talk. But man, it's just been really cool to see your evolution over the years in all these different areas, right? Whether it's training, business, life. That's why I kind of wanted to do this. So Andy, oh, I, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's just been very cool, man. And I have so much respect for you. So with that being said, if my listeners enjoyed this show, even though it was vastly different from stuff that I've done in the past, yeah. I had fun. I had Me fun. Too. I, I don't think I could do this with everybody, but I can do it with a guy like you. Yeah. Where can people find out more about you and everything you have going on? I'm, I'm really trying to, one, avoid social media a lot right now. But I, but I am going to say, I think the best place to contact me is probably Instagram. That's the thing that I'm, I'm trying to build and I'm focused a little bit more on, although I don't post as frequently as I should, but that's about maintaining my mental health. So yes. you can get <laughs> uh, Andy McCloy underscore BCI. Uh, and I'm also on Facebook as well under my full name, Andy McCloy. So that's probably Perfect. the best. Perfect. Yeah. We'll make sure we get all those links in the show notes. But again, Andy, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. This was really great. Yeah, actually, I really enjoyed this. I mean, I think it's the only way this could have been better is if like we both had a drink that that would have been even funnier. <laughs> so, so it's funny. I, I never actually did it. But one thing I thought about during the whole COVID was like 8 p.m. Friday night, Eastern Standard, like, hey, man, let's just open up a chat room or whatever, whatever, a Zoom room, whatever it's called. and Let's just have drinks. But I, I thought it would get too chaotic with 100 people trying to talk at the same time, you know? It could. Like, I don't know if you've ever, you know, remember the rapper Noriega? Like, yeah, he, of course. It's somebody else. They've got a show called Drink Champs. And oh, yeah. they pick on people like Diddy and Jadakiss. And they, they just get hammered while they're on the show. And yeah. it is hilarious. So it's like, there's, there's a precedent for it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, maybe we're going to start like the physical preparation wing of that. I'm totally with it. If you ever need a participant, <laughs> I shall be there. I love it, man. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Andy. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. He is just one of my favorite human beings. I feel like we are kindred spirits in the sense that we both love to train. We love to operate our businesses. We're always looking for ways to improve our our various businesses. But most importantly, we're just, we're switched on in the game of life, right? So, We want to get better each and every day, whether it's reading books, whether it's talking about meditation, doesn't matter. Like if it's a screw that we can tighten to get more out of life, we're interested. And that's why he and I vibe so well. And like I said, he's just somebody I feel like each of us can take something away from. So I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I got one of two things to ask of you. Number one, if you're not already a subscriber, what are you doing, my friend? I mean, two seconds out of your day and you can get... These amazing podcasts drop into your inbox each and every week. Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play. If it's a place that has podcasts, chances are the Physical Prep Podcast is there. So if you're not already, subscribe to the show so you get this each and every week. If you are already subscribed, thank you. I appreciate it. But now do me one more solid. Go on to the iTunes store. Give me a rating and a review. You know as well as I do The name of the game here is influence and impact. I want to impact as many trainers, coaches, athletes, rehab professionals as I possibly can. And there are amazing people that take their time to come on this show and let me interview them. So let's expose the world to more of these great practitioners. So ratings and reviews bump the entire show up. It gets us more exposure and ultimately, I think, is going to make our industry a better place. 
So, my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.